It's time once again for another thrilling episode of Mark Out Radio. Of Mark Out Radio. For the next hour, sit back, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned though, smarks and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. That's right. Welcome back to Market Radio Goes Nitro, episode 28 for March 18, 1996, out of the UTC Arena in Chattanooga, Tennessee. No, I'm not going to sing the fucking song. Yes, I'm fully aware it's one of those gay things I'd probably do. Episode this week is hosted by Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Steve Mongo McMichael. Uh, show gets started shot out of a cannon with Giant laying a beating on Loch Ness. Eric welcomes us all to the war zone again, even though we're not at war yet. The arena capacity tonight is 10,928, but WCW didn't fill it. And thankfully, Eric would never claim they did. Oh, never mind. He did in the very first fucking tag match. Fucking marketing, Eric. They used a little more than half of the arena and did have some folks sitting in the top bowl. Tennessee is a great pro wrestling state and they're on the university ground, so they've got a raucous young crowd. They come here a couple more times in the year, usually sell about 5,000 tickets out of a 6,000 available. Now, unfortunately, the arena has a shitty exhaust system and gets a little hazy every time Pyro goes off. But uh, anyway, Nitro goes back into the ratings winner, ratings war winner, Jesus, with a huge 3.6 to Raw's 2.9. Viewership is starting to trend upwards for both companies. Though they're still splitting hardcore and habitual wrestling fans, we haven't seen the quote-unquote Joe Public bump yet. First match of the night, Lex Luger defeats Loch Ness via countout to retain the WCW World Television Champion Championship, and the match itself gets... Zero point zero. That's right. Loch Ness gets jumped, of course, by the Giant at the beginning of the show. And Giant continues to beat on Loch Ness down the entrance ramp. Luger comes out for his entrance and argues and forces the referee to ring the bell. Now, even in simulated combat, there are rules. And one of those rules is that both combatants have to be able to stand in the ring before a match can actually officially start. Still, this plays well with Luger's current fucking cowardly gimmick, so I'm not going to be too much of a dick about it. And there's a plus side here. We only get 13 seconds of Luger posing in the ring, and then we're done with him for the night. Now, before we move on to the next match, can I please point out that it took the ref 13 seconds to count to 10 here? After this, we get a commercial break. Back from break, we get Shivani on the mic, throwing me off a little bit, on the ramp to do a promo with the Mega Powers. I don't know how that didn't trigger any kind of copyright infringement, but apparently it didn't, and they continue to use it, so much so that Savage actually has the words Mega Powers written all over his fucking tights and jacket. Anyways, Hogan and Savage promoting the main event tonight and the uncensored pay-per-view this Sunday. Hogan's juicing regimen has been doing its job. His veins are popping again, and those pythons are getting fucking huge. After that, we get another commercial break, and back from break, we get the Steiner Brothers defeating Public Enemy in seven minutes, Three seconds. I gave that one three and a half out of five. I, to start the match, Eric quips that this is the biggest show in wrestling. I'm not quite sure that's accurate yet. It's getting there. Uh, but, I mean, 
marketing Eric at work again here. Steiners get a huge pop. Uh, well, I mean, to be fair, they get a rousing ovation of dog barks, but the crowd is crazy into the match and crazy into the teams. So whatever it is, what it is, both, ma- both uh, teams are pretty over with the audience. Um, Public Enemy's gimmick isn't really that over with WCW fans. The, the you know the Southern wrestling style is really not that into a uh, hardcore stuff like ECW and East Coasters are. But I mean, I, I mean, nowadays everyone's sort of kind of into it. Otherwise, CCW wouldn't be the thing that it is. But that being said, it's um, the Public Enemy don't get as big a pop. I think they were just sort of before their time. I the, the Nasty Boys have sort of a quote unquote wrestling slash hardcore gimmick. But the Public Enemy's gimmick is straight-up hardcore matches. Uh, that's why they come out wearing what I guess can only be called hockey jerseys. But anyways, the commentators do a good job here of switching between this match and promoting the Uncensored pay-per-view, considering that neither of these teams is actually scheduled to compete there. I mean, the Steiners did fight the Nasty Boys on main event before the pay-per-view, that serves as the WCW pre-shows for their pay-per-views, but neither of these teams is actually going to compete at uncensored so they actually did a very good job of staying on topic here with the match Rocco does a solo spot through a heavily heavily gimmick table allowing grunge to get worked over in the ring and put away by the signers post match the centers work the camera awesome to put over their ongoing program with legion of doom and pep boys power pin of the week is a replay of the steiners finish after this we get another commercial break tonight i've enjoyed the breaks are happening outside of matches I actually hate commercial breaks during a match. I mean, it kills the excitement at home. Sure, the live audience still gets to watch some wrestling, but at home, I've got to sit through two minutes of God knows what's going to be on fucking the stupid promos this week. After this, the booty man defeats Arn Anderson with woman at ringside in five minutes, 42 seconds. I give that one three out of five. And uh, again, because woman and Benoit are starting to make eyes at one another, we see no more Benoit on Nitro. But now Woman is here weekly while Sullivan tries to keep her close. Maybe if he'd stop cuffing her around, she wouldn't be making googly eyes at anyone else. But they explained all of this Benoit missing as him being injured. He wasn't. He got sent home for a few weeks because he pissed off one of the main bookers in Sullivan by, um, well, I mean, arguably, if you watch the Dark Side of the Ring episode with Benoit, uh, the two-parter, arguably... It hasn't gotten to the point where Benoit is actually doing anything that Sullivan doesn't like yet, arguably, according to everyone that's rewriting history. But actions speak louder than words, and Benoit would go missing a couple of times and get pushed down a couple of times before the program ever started with Sullivan booking Benoit and woman in this love triangle thing. But I mean, whatever. Hindsight being twenty twenty, we all know what's going on. But of course, everyone loves, in wrestling especially, to rewrite history. So here we are. Beaver comes out and seizures his way down to the ring. Um, apparently, this new gimmick is getting over. I'm not really sure if it is getting over. I mean, the fans like this a lot more than Zodiac. But I think it's mostly the commentating team putting this thing over. Anyways, when Beaver was winning during this match, Anderson is selling the shit out of it. When he's losing, though, he wasn't selling anything. So the match suffers, the wrestling of it anyway, suffers because Beaver wasn't actually, well, Beaver was pulling a Hogan. Hogan hours sucked. Bischoff accidentally spoils what they've been building to for fucking weeks with Kim Page calling her the booty girl and then quickly covering and then brain fucks with them on Eric a little bit. 
Um, Brain is pretty much untouchable at this point. He could get away with doing a lot of these different things and fucking with Eric a lot uh, since Eric is not and will never be a broadcast professional um, and will never have Brain's respect. So Brain will fuck with him an awful lot. And it is a lot like watching my fucking girls fight. It does get awkward, um, especially because me yelling at my girls stops them from doing it, whereas me yelling at the screen sort of feels like masturbation. Post-match, the camera cuts away from Beefer and Kim celebrating together for the first time. Again, why spend all this time building this union, for fuck of a better word, to then cut away for the payoff? I Just fuck's sakes. Anyways, commercial break after that. WCW Saturday Night promo coming back. And the next match is the Road Warriors defeating the Nasty Boys. Um, no time. I got no time for you. I'm sorry. I wish I did, but I don't. Three and a half out of five on that one. The reason why I don't have a timer on this is because no one knows when the match actually started or ended because, yes, there's a bell at the end, but there's actually not really much of a bell at the beginning. The whole thing starts with just a slobber knocker leading down the ramp. So no one knows. Anyways, Nob uh, has his ribs taped up over his clothes. Sag has his shoulder taped up. I'm not quite sure what that wrap job is called since a shoulder injury is usually taped across the chest and underneath the opposite armpit. I don't know what it's called when just your shoulders taped up um, because there is actually no joint to tape up. If you just tape up your fucking shoulder, if you, if you're supporting the joint, then you got to support the joint by taping it across your chest and underneath your opposite armpit. If he's just got a boo-boo on his shoulder, then probably a bandaid would suffice. I don't know, though. There's some padding under there, so maybe he's got a cut on his shoulder that they're taping up. Who the fuck knows? It just looked really gimmicky and bullshitty. And, I mean, these are Hogan's boys, so let's be honest. It's probably just a bunch of kayfabe, so it is what it is. Um, There's a commercial break during this match. Wasn't I just saying how I loved there not being commercial breaks during matches? I mean, the cameras are having a tough time keeping up with this, so probably was time for a break to reset the production team to yell at them and make them not fuck up so much anymore. But we get a commercial break during the match for an uncensored pay-per-view promo. Um, the match itself was just really fucking sloppy wrestling. There wasn't much botching. It's just that no one was trying to put on a decent match. I mean, if it hadn't been for the showmanship of Legion of Doom, it would have killed the crowd. And the crowd was already fairly dead. I mean, with the exception of Kim coming down. But the, the the crowd was not into this match at all. Uh, they they tapped out of it because they couldn't keep track of what was going on. Now, listen. Most of the points here are awarded due to the Donnie Brook at the end of the match. The signers came out and nailed Sags with one of Legion of Doom's wrist guards. And then while Nick Patrick is standing right next to Animal, he blasts knobs with the other guard. Now, I will admit I did chuckle at the spot. It is wrestling, and Patrick did his job by actually not looking at the fucking disqualificationable issue, but whatever. Now, Bischoff gets in a comment here that actually helps for a change, drawing attention to the fact that there's a three-way feud between LOD, sorry, Road Warriors, Nasty Boys, and the Steiners. Now, it would have helped to keep Public Enemy in the company if they'd made it a four-way, and then they wrapped this all up with a tag team war games payoff. But, of course, they didn't. So, Public Enemy were not long for the WCW and would move on. As with Legion of Dooms, Legion of Dooms? Legion of Doom, 
And they would keep sort of the nasty boys around, uh, sort of, as quote-unquote trainers at the power plant, leaving really the Steiners, the only group that would stick around, and then they would split them up anyways. So while they had the seeds of a sweet tag team division, they kept fucking it up by breaking up the teams or just burying the teams that they were bringing in and so badly that it would force those teams to just be like, ah, fuck it, we're out of here. All right, after this, we get a commercial break, and back from commercial, we get an uncensored pay-per-view live read promo, followed by your main event, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage defeating Kevin Sullivan and Ric Flair with woman. Um, Via disqualification in a Texas Tornado tag team match in 10 minutes, 9 seconds, I gave that one a three and a a half out of five. Um, Flair has been hitting the gym and possibly the juice again. Guess getting less and less floppy old man tits and uh, spare tire as a result. So props. And of course, tanning, because as Hogan would remind us on numerous occasions, while he was fucking another radio host's wife, that tan fat looks better than pale fat. Sullivan bumping like a weeble wobble again. I can't even look away from it anymore. Hogan throws the figure four on Sullivan and kept looking over to Flair and Savage trying to get it right, but of course never did. He and Sullivan just laid there until Flair got a huge pop. Then all of a sudden Hogan was on his feet and chopping Flair into the corner. So Hogan hours suck again. Uh, Bischoff and Heenan spent a good three minutes arguing if Hogan is all there again, sounding like my kids fighting Hogan legit gets a pop when he hulks up. I know it happens. All right. Now we get another spot that in wrestling history is arguable. Pillman leaps over the rail and goes right after Savage. Everybody except Anderson starts shooting on Pillman until eventually he gets away. Now, according to Bischoff, this was a shoot. And I'll grant you that Hogan and Savage are not legit tough guys. I'm on the fence about it, if I'm honest. I mean, Pillman is technically at ECW at this time. Heyman's not above guerrilla marketing gimmicks. Plus, Pillman is legit out of his fucking mind and pissed off at Sullivan for how he was booked. I wouldn't put it past Heyman to put Brian up to this. And Anderson always always liked Pillman, so maybe it was a shoot. But what came next was a straight-up work for the go-home of Nitro. After Pillman's fucked off, Zeus and the final solution come out. Now, we'll get to the other guy's name in a second. Anyways. Zeus, obviously, feel free to check out one of our old YouTube videos on Zeus um, for Greenway's... You know, the funny thing is it gets accused a lot of racism on on YouTube. It's never been pulled for racism, but it it does get heat for being racist. Let's be clear. Yes, it is drawing attention to the fact that WWE is incredibly racist, or at least was back in the 80s and 90s. But there's actually a video about Zeus on there. I think it's the first one. It's fucking excellent. Greenway fucking nailed it. And I love drawing attention to the fact of it every time I can get to. Not because I can push the heat on Greenway. Because let's admit it. I would do that if I had to. But just because it was fucking hilarious. And even though I put some video to it. Greenway's audio of it is awesome. Just awesome. Anyways. So Tiny Lister is brought back to recreate the bullshit angle between Hogan and Zeus from No Holds Barred from back in 89. Now, it was a terrible movie, and it was a terrible program that led to a terrible pay-per-view with a movie and a steel cage match between Hogan and Beefer and Savage and Zeus. Now, of course, Eric didn't want to get sued again by the WWF, the World Whining Federation in his 
vernacular, over licensing for the Zeus name. So Tiny Lister comes back as Z Gangsta. All right. Now, obviously, WWF is not the only place with less than subtle racism existing in the 90s, but holy fuck. Anyways, the final solution is fucking huge. And actually a wrestler, although I'm not quite sure the WCW bookers thought about his name all the way through. I mean, there is one other final solution that I know of, but it involves a lot of Jews and some furnaces. So maybe the name should be rethunk just a little bit. I mean, that's got Sullivan booking all over. Now, I'm sure he'll blame that on Hogan, but frankly, neither one of them would really surprise me since they're both pretty fucking stupid when it comes to this stuff. But pitching that to Eric. Now, I will say an awful lot of negative shit about Eric Bischoff, but he's not a moron. He's just in business for himself. Now, pitching the final solution as the name for this big guy to a weasel like Eric Bischoff must have given him a semi. He must have thought, oh, that's clever. Because if you... Your booking committee at this point is basically Sullivan, Hogan, and Bischoff. So if somebody comes to you with the name of a wrestler as the final solution, I I understand we're 50 years removed from World War II at this point, but I really don't think like you could even call a wrestler today the final solution and have it go over. Anyways, the solution has some acting credentials under his belt. He does kind of look like Bull Hurley from over the top, but he's not. But he was in No Holes Bar, Bard as Lugwrench Perkins. He was in Bulletproof as um, James Conn's muscle with uh, Adam Sandler's and Adam Sandler's, Jesus, Adam Sandler and uh, Damon Wayans. He played Bane in Batman and Robin. Yeah. Anyways. These are not great thespian roles, I'll grant you. Um, he was a gimmick bad guy. At six foot four and 405 pounds, he was grotesquely huge. And as you might imagine from this era of wrestling, he died from heart failure at the age of 40. Now, let's take a brief break here from wrestling to talk about steroids, since they're so hand in hand. I'm not going to say that they're good or bad but they can absolutely be abused. Your body will always be at the mercy of your genetics. And if you use steroids to try to circumvent your genetic limitations, there are going to be some side effects that get worse as you age. Now, Arnie, for example, is very forthright in being on steroids for all of his Mr. Universe runs and a few years into his Hollywood run. Now, allegedly, he stopped taking steroids in 1985 after having a cardio infarction filming Commando. He didn't neglect his workout routine, so he kept most of his crazy size and impressive physique but it became obvious that his heart couldn't take the juicing anymore even today he does a lot of reps but doesn't do a lot of weight because his heart can't take it now when you're sitting there on well hold on let's not jump too far ahead now the heart boys and girls is a muscle it pumps blood around your body and it's always working. When you're sitting there on the couch with a bag of fucking chips, your heart is still pumping. So if you're on steroids and you're not working out daily for like at least an hour, well, depending on the type of steroid you're taking, all of that recovery juice you're putting in is going to go into the muscles that need recovery, which is going to be your heart. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger until there's hardly any room left inside of your chest for it to pump effectively. And then boom, It starts to struggle to beat or just blows a fucking artery. Now, the point here, kids, is that if you're going to do steroids, 
don't be a fucking moron about it. I mean, look at Al Snow. He admittedly is on steroids currently. It absolutely shows, but he throws up his test results every year on Twitter to show that if you aren't abusing them like a fucking jackass, you can safely take certain kinds of steroids without fucking yourself up. Unfortunately for the solution, that knowledge wasn't around really in the 80s and 90s. People would just take whatever was a popular steroid at that point and just take it and take it and take it. Now, that being said, Tiny Lister has also been fairly forthright in taking steroids uh, during his football career and and his first few years in Hollywood. Um, the funny thing is he hasn't aged well in the last seven years since we saw him. Um, he used to be able to do a pretty impressive like titty bounce that that Siner, that, that uh, Scotty Center can do. But now it kind of looks like old lady tits <laughs> with when he does his pec flex thing, the top part of his chest is still doing the pec flex thing. But the bottom looks a little bit like uh, Mae Young's tits did when she popped them out during, <laughs> during that rather infamous uh, cat fight um, in, in WWF. Anyways. He hasn't aged well. Uh, just fucking try to forget Mae Young's tennis ball and a sports sock tits. Anyways, they brought in Robert Swenson, the solution. I'm only going to call him the solution because I, I don't know. It just I'm affecting that they're going to. I'm hoping that they're going to change his name. Anyways, anyways. Now the idea here was to have these two behemoths come in to really add some sizzle to the already huge uncensored made event. I'm not quite sure why they felt they needed them this much help the guard is stacked but i guess they wanted to take advantage of the heat and get a rub from you know no holds barred and that whole build and i mean listen the the solution is a fucking beast of an attraction he gets out there and just does a lot of posing really as well he does and it's fucking impressive Anyways, post-match promo with Shivani in the ring. Sullivan gets on the stick while Flair rocks the Hogan bandana for a little bit of cheap heat. Hart gets the stick. Makes no sense. Flair kind of gets the stick and makes a little bit more sense. But then Anderson gets it and wraps it all up. Makes this whole thing make some sense. Explains why these two morons are here. Lister and Swinson basically just flexed and screamed in the ring the whole time. And then Sullivan gets on the mic and fucks it all up. Anderson gets the stick again at the end to remind us that Benoit is back. But he won't be on the pay-per-view. He won't be on next week's Nitro. He won't be on Saturday night for a little while. So is he back? I don't know. Anyways, the commentary team wraps things up, puts the final push on Uncensored. Overall, I think the Nitro gets three out of five. There were some really weak spots and gleam gimmick swerves. But, I mean, it did its job of selling the pay-per-view in the end. Next week, we'll cover a little bit of what happened at Uncensored. See, I say a little bit knowing full well that I've... I've blocked out like five, ten minutes to talk about it. But anyways, um, after next week's Nitro is going to be in building towards Slambury. Now, don't forget that there's going to be a few more things, including Eric Bischoff's wet dream of going and playing with bikers and Sturgis. So you'll hear him promoting Hogwild, which is a terrible name for something that renegade bikers go to. But whatever when you get a nerd and put them on a motorcycle, you're going to get nerd shit. All right. Spoiler alert. Well, that was an abortion of a show. 
Should the mood take you, check out markoutradio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them.